Building leadership in the nonprofit sector is, if you will excuse the pun, mission critical for our sector. You don't have to look very far to find studies that show that there's a growing crisis in this sector. Boomer executive directors are retiring. And in a sector where overhead is a four-letter word, actually it's two four-letter words, the notion of a strong human resources function in your organization or even budgets for professional development, well, most nonprofits just come up short. My work in the sector has been about building and supporting effective nonprofit leadership. And in this work, I often find myself working with folks who want to move into nonprofit leadership gigs, either from the nonprofit sector or from within the sector. I've guided board search committees because a board will never have a more important decision to make than this one. And I've coached folks who interview processes. I find that work very rewarding because I know how important it is to build a leadership pipeline. One of the most common questions I hear is, what are board search committees looking for in executive directors? Or, as a board, what should we be looking for? Or, this is my dream job. What do I do to give it my best shot? I'm hoping that today we can tackle the issue from both sides. How does an organization set itself up to succeed in making a great hire? And what's the secret sauce in being a rock star candidate? My guest today is also a kindred spirit in this regard. She is called upon by nonprofits to fill the increasing number of leadership gaps. Yes, she is a headhunter. Today, I'll pick that head of hers to understand what she hunts for. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. Dara Klarfeld is currently the CEO at DRG Search. She joined DRG in 2011 as a consultant with an eye to building the firm's practice and education administration. Before joining the firm, Dara worked in the nonprofit sector for more than 15 years in the area of education, philanthropy, and youth development. In her practice, Dara is known for her client-centered approach, her strong group facilitation skills, and her expertise in working with clients to resolve organizational challenges in order to prepare for leadership transitions. She loves collaborating and leading the DRG team in the development of new tools to continue to build, deepen, and leverage networks. She's passionate about creative ways to identify and assess candidates on behalf of her clients. I've had the pleasure of working with her when she is engaged on behalf of my own clients. She's smart, passionate about the needs of her clients, and unlike some search firms who surface usual suspects, I've been impressed with how determined DRG is to really think outside the box. Dara, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks so for having me. So how'd you me. find your way into the executive search business? Your bio indicates you were in the nonprofit trenches for a while. When did you make the switch and why? Um, so I was recruited, actually, <laughs> which I think is the, the right answer and the best answer. Um, when I was in college, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And when, when I graduated, uh, I had a number of nonprofits, internships in a variety of spaces and places, and really fell in love with the work of the nonprofit. Um, after I graduated, I went to work for a nonprofit, which whose mission was to bring high school students from all over the country to Washington, D.C. to learn about lobbying and to train them in leadership development and to build their skills in facilitation and grassroots organizing. Um, the president of that organization was a rabbi who felt that this work was really inspired by the understanding of the intersection of Judaism and values and social justice. And he had an important influence on me at that time. And um, since I knew I wanted to go to graduate school, he encouraged me to apply to rabbinical school 
school, uh, and I started my graduate school journey doing that. Um, about halfway through that six-year program, I realized rabbinical school was probably not my calling, um, and um, I, I, I stayed the course because I really wasn't sure what else to do at the age of 24. Um, so, so how my far time, into rabbinical school did you get? So are you like half a rabbi, uh, a quarter of a rabbi? No, no, I completed. Oh. I completed. I finished. I am an actual rabbi. I did rabbi, not know that. A, rec- a recovering <laughs> rabbi, but, but a rabbi nonetheless. Um, so I stayed through ordination, and afterwards I worked for lots of different nonprofits. Um, I, my first job out of school was to run a small uh, $1 million Jewish youth-focused um, organization. I was the ED, and so I sort of learned all of the struggles of what it means to manage a small nonprofit and how to work with a board and how to work with a large constituent audience and and to really think about um, the issue of who could I hire? I was allowed to have one and a half staff people. And what does that mean? And how do you build something when you don't have enough people, right, in the organization? And so um, that was sort of my first foray into thinking about people and the notion of talent and why that was important. Um, I then went and had a couple of kids. Um, And over the course of doing that, I was recruited by um, a large local nonprofit in New York to come and run a specific um, project for them that was about talent engagement and the definition of rethinking and reshaping where can we find a next uh, generation of leadership for that particular uh, philanthropy and nonprofit. Um, And about six years into that job, I got a call um, from DRG Search from the president of the firm who had recruited my husband in the past saying, do you know any networks? Do you know anybody? And I said, hmm. I don't really know what this is, but I think I might be interested and I could probably be good at it. And kind of the rest is history. What do you think it takes to be a good headhunter? And are you okay? Is the headhunter the phrase when, do you you bristle at that phrase? I wonder. Um, It's a very interesting question that you ask, right? So I think people think that the notion of headhunter is sort of like the bottom of the food chain. Um, And we call ourselves consultants. And I think that the reason that we do that is because there are two distinct ways in which you can recruit for talent. And one is uh, retained search, which is what we are. So we're really consultants for the clients. And one is contingency search, which is more sort of the old school fill-em and bill-em kind of, right? And, And I think that the reason that I'm attracted to the retained search piece and the work that we do is because, as you mentioned in the beginning, I love the strategy behind what does the organization need to move forward? What are the skills that somebody will need to bring to that? And how will we be able to find somebody who has those skills? And and P.S., where are the multitude of places they could have acquired those skills or built them in order to help the organizations move forward? So so let's so I so I, I it makes it very clear to me listening to your journey about um why you are good at what you do because you have lived in the shoes of the people you're looking for. And, I th- and um, that, makes, uh, that can make all the difference. Um, so let's start at the, at the very beginning. We're not, you're, what kind of work does an organization in your mind need to do before beginning a search? Because I've, I've talked with folks as they get ready to do a search, and there's a lot of work to do before you say, okay, we should hire a consultant. What, what, is, that, what is that advice yeah. about how, what does an organization really need to do before getting started on a search? Right. So 
I always think about when people call us to ask us that question, what do I need to do to get ready, right? And people think that our company is about finding candidates only, which it is. It's more come for the candidate and stay for the consulting, right, in many ways. So all organizations call us because they have a particular moment where they're looking for the right candidate. But we don't start with the candidate. We actually start with the organization because your question is right, which is what do we need to do for an organization to help them to get ready in order to engage and go down this search path, this search journey, this opportunity of transition, any and all of those things. So I really think there are three critical things to be able to do. The first piece is everybody needs to sort of take an oath of honest assessment, right? To look around at each other, the leadership, and say, where are we? Why are we in this moment of transition? What's happening? What went wrong? What opportunity is this? Any and all of those kinds of the things, right? Having nothing to do with the candidate, and I'm not on a referendum about what was with the ED before, right? I'm just purely thinking about the organization, which is owned by the community or by the board or by the constituents, and not necessarily by the professional. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is to identify consensus around some of those things. Because if you want to start to find somebody to lead your vision, that it's impossible if you don't have consensus around what that vision is, right? And, and by the way, the consensus may be, we don't know what our vision is, and what we might need to look to hire somebody to help us to find our vision, right? That's okay also, but everybody sort of has to look around the table and agree to that. And the third thing that I think is really, really important is to have the right people on the search committee. And the right people on the search committee are people who can be both passionate and dispassionate about the work that they do from the group's perspective, from the perspective of the organization, um, and, and take off their own hats, right, their own personal hats when they need to and put them on when appropriate. And, and we always say in our company, you need people who can get to yes, Right? People who want to make this work, who don't want to um, you know, create a situation where there's so much red tape involved and, and nobody's going to be able to get anywhere. You need people who are willing to say, we're going to do this together. Before we go on to the search committee and what makes an ideal search committee, I want to just go back to being ready for a second. Um, yeah. Because I work with a lot of organizations. I work with a lot of boards. And there are times when I will work with a board and I will think to myself, if their executive director leaves, they are so not ready. This board is not strong. This board has been following the leader for years. Right. This board is disengaged. This board is not, the, is not strong enough to sustain a transition. And I don't think very often that boards think that way. They don't like to think about their EDs leaving if their EDs are good. Um, what kind of shape does a because I, I, I what kind of shape does a board need to be in in order to because a transition is a, is it's probably the most tumultuous period of time in an organization. I think they need to be the most willing to know and acknowledge what they don't know, right? I think that is the single biggest factor. It's not about skills or you know, sort of where they are, what they've done. I think they have to be open to the opportunity that they might need help actually getting themselves organized and that what got them here is not what's going to get them there, right? So they have to be willing to say this is a moment and look at each other and say, I'm not really sure that we're the right people to do this or I think we need help. That's all they have to do and then have the courage to call somebody like you or like us and say, 
help me. We're not, we're not exactly sure, but we know if we move forward like this, we're not going to get anywhere. Um, so let's talk about the search committee. Uh, I get a lot of questions about who should sit on a search committee. I get a quest. I get questions, you know, from from executive directors. Shouldn't I be on the search committee, or the you know the key lieutenant, the number two? Furious that they're not identified to be on the search committee. So the selection of who who is and who isn't on the search committee is a pretty loaded one. How do you approach that with a board, and what do you think? What's the prof? You describe some of the the attributes and competencies. Yeah. But who are the players that ought to be around the table? I don't think there's any absolute wisdom about this because I really think that it is organization specific and every player comes with competencies, but they also come with their own ethos and the way in which they approach their work. So I really would go back to saying you got to find people who want to get to yes and work collaboratively above all else, right? And on the issue of we need a lawyer or we need a compensation specialist, I'm way less interested in that and way more interested in what are the different voices from the community or from the organization that are well represented around the table um, on issues of gender diversity, on issue of age diversity. I'm interested in different viewpoints of different people who can really frame and begin to see a 360, I think, is really, really important to have different kinds of voices. I think it's good to have people who are agitators, um, but also good for people who are willing to be conciliatory and say, I've said what I need to say, and I'm willing to go with the team because I think this is what's best for the group. On the issue of who specifically is on the search committee, it's very complex to have uh, team members, professionals, on the search committee when you're hiring for an executive because it becomes very complicated around issues of compensation that might be discussed. It becomes very complicated around issues of critique, oftentimes, you know, as we don't want it to, but sometimes the search discussions turn into a referendum on the on yep. the former ED. That's complicated. And then also, you know, you're really unearthing a lot about these executive director candidates, both their strengths and and weaknesses as they move into these positions and how we can we support them. It's strange to have somebody who's going to be supervised by this person there. So it's a very unusual circumstance where I think you can have somebody um, who's a professional who's on the search committee um, and have it go very smoothly. There are other ways to include professionals in the search process that don't necessarily need to be on the search committee where they get a voice but not a vote. Um, you and I have talked about that before. Um, and the way to do that is to really have strong board leadership who can really message to the professionals that this is really important to us. And just because you have a voice but not a vote doesn't mean that your voice isn't really important. The, um, the board chair, is it? do you think the board chair should be on a search committee or not be on the search committee? So I also I don't I also don't think there's an absolute right. wisdom on that. I really think it depends on who the person is and what the constitution of the board is and you know in a best case scenario the search committee is an organ of the board and therefore the the search chair should not be on the search committee or should be ex officio on the search committee but the most important thing is that there is a line of communication ongoing between the search committee and the board of directors. So we don't want the search committee to go off and do their whole thing and then pop up at the end to the board and say, here's a candidate we'd like you to approve. So there has to be open communication. One of the best ways to do that is to have a board member, some board members serving on both capacities. Um, 
The other way to offset the angry number, deputy director who's not on the search committee is to put someone on the search committee. Part of the reason that, that staff get uh, ir- agitated about not being represented on search committees is because they, they believe that board members don't, ca- don't, ca- don't have their voice, right? They don't have that lived yeah. experience. Sure. Do you, uh, do you recommend... That because um, I think sometimes it can be really helpful to have someone who has been an executive director some at some other organization, maybe a similar one. Uh, in when I was leaving Glad, another executive director within the sector agreed to be on the search committee, and it and I think that it it did a, a went a long way towards making the staff feel like their voice was somehow represented by someone who actually had s- stood in the shoes of the job. Yeah. Um, I love that idea. I think it's hard sometimes for boards of directors to find people who are willing to give of their own time to be right. able to do that. The best, One of the best search committees that I ever worked with was for a small independent school, and they followed the third, a third, a third rule for school, which is that they had a third of people who were actively involved in the school on the board, et cetera, or parents, a third of people who were educators who were not from the school, and a third of people who were from community members, from community nonprofits and organizations who were adjacent or partners with the school, that was the search committee. And it was actually a really, really beautiful thing. There were a lot of people who were on the committee who really knew very little about the school and made for a very open and transparent and I think a very thoughtful process. But I think that's a dream, Joan. I think a lot of people can't really do that, and and I understand why. So... uh what do you see as the ingredients for a successful search? A lot of patience. Um, surrounding yourself with the people who have a high EQ, who are decision makers. Um, really understanding what it is, where it is that you want the organization to go. Being able to translate that into what will it take, what skills will it take to get somebody there, and then being able to think about the candidate. Oftentimes, people go immediately to, oh, we have a vacancy for a development director. I know three people. right? So my answer to that is, how do you know you have three people when we haven't talked about what do you want this right. person to do? And before we even do that, where do we want this person to help take the organization? particularly around CEO and executive director searches, where the primary function of an executive leader is to think over the horizon. Like, what's next? Not just what's happening today, but in three years, in five years, in 10 years, we must have conversations around that. So if if you don't think about that, then you end up with sort of the film and billum, right? And, and you haven't really unpacked who this person is. You can't support them. You can't scaffold around them. You won't make their tenure successful. So I think those are really the most important ingredients um, to a search is a lot of the prep work. Just in case, EQ, can you define? Um, Emotional quotient. And so what does that mean to you? It means to me people's ability to see themselves reflected in other people and to see themselves reflected in the conversations they have. And we evaluate people's EQ in a 
very broad way, from the way they send their first email to say, hi, I'd like to introduce myself, what's the language that they use, to the way in which they engage with us when we reference about them. We want to know, how do they treat the people that they work with, right? What are the values through which they do their work? What is the way in which they can handle complex, difficult situations? How do they separate the tactical from the emotional, right? All of those kinds of things. Um, those, I think, are the most important things in leadership these days. It, all of the other skills can be taught or borrowed or built on or scaffolded, but to have a leader or somebody in a leadership position who is um, devoid of a significant level of EQ, I think, leads to a whole host of other problems that can't really be scaffolded. You end up triaging, and I think that's a big yeah, problem. I, I, I talk about I mean, EQ is... is is spot on. I talk about it as attributes that in, in many ways the attributes of leadership are far more important than the specific skills, whether or not someone – oftentimes uh, they'll pass up a candidate who has not f actually done fundraising when in fact mm -hmm. they have absolutely every attribute to be a fantastic fundraiser. Absolutely. So, uh, so let's talk about the, the sourcing of candidates for a minute, and then we're going to move on to the other side of the table. Okay. Um, how do you approach candidate sourcing so that you are not fishing in a pond of the usual suspects? How do you guys do it? Yeah. Um, so first of all, we never assume that anything is obvious or that anyone is obvious or fits into any one particular mold. I think we are always open. And I think that's important because the way that people represent themselves on paper is not necessarily the best representation of themselves, for better or for worse. And so we're very careful to really build kind of in concentric circles in a number of different ways um, based on what the client is looking for, based on what the client has told us where they want to take the organization. We've narrowed down what those skills are. Then we sit as a team together um, in our office. And this is really the fun part, right, which is trying to figure out who are the kinds of people that can do this and where might we find them, right? So if we need somebody who is going to be a development professional, right, we want to look for uh, intersectionalities between them and the organization and the work in a bunch of different places. Are they connected to the organization because, you know, they, they went to school there if it's a university? Are they connected to the organization because they're funders there or they have given there before or because we, we can tell from their online presence that they're interested in that organization, that idea or that set of values? So we, we look at it that way. On the competencies issue, um, you know, we look broad strokes at how they present themselves on their LinkedIn profile, on their resume. We look for places who have like-minded kinds of professionals, right? So development professionals are actually also business developers, right? So those two skills are mm -hmm. very adjacent. So we wouldn't just look for development professionals. We'd look for people who are entrepreneurial, who have been built businesses, who have raised funds or capital for their own organizations or companies and, you know, and we talk to them about what are some of the comparisons and can they make the translation or the leap between two of those things. And so for us, it's not linear at all. It's a total and complete matrix that's ever evolving about what did the does the organization really want to do? What are the skills they actually need? And we know that you can look sort of in one avenue, but we'd like to look in 15 other avenues to be able to find that, which I think 
also opens up people to the possibility of moving around career. So it's not a ladder, but a lattice, which I think everybody thinks about these days more and more, that it's not a linear progression of skills or ideas in one particular um, function or organization, and that you can move around and build on skills from one place to the other. And the creativity is really what helps the organizations move forward. It's kind of like being a sleuth, isn't it? Yes, that's the best yeah. part. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. I, mean, that's, I do a lot of work with boards who say, oh, my gosh, I need board members. N- mm, no, you yeah. don't need board members. You need particular board members. Right. And then help, right. helping them think about what different kinds of ponds you can f- fish in and watching their eyes go, oh, I hadn't thought about affinity groups or, you know, whatever it might right. be. So it's very, very interesting. So we're having a conversation here with Dara Klarfeld, who is the CEO at DER Search. She is uh, uh, has been there since 2011, and uh, she brings to that work uh, more than 15 years in the area of education, philanthropy, and youth development. Now I want to flip it a little bit. So that's how you do the search. That's how you get the organization set up. Now I want to. I'm. I, I'm interested in what you find to be the common elements that you're looking for in someone that you think that person is going to be a great executive director. That's a great question. Um, so. First of all, I have to like them, right? So first and foremost, I have the privilege of being in this position and representing my clients, and we're in the people business, right? So I'm thinking about people all the time and the way that they interact and the way they present themselves. I need to like this person. I think that is first and foremost. I don't have to agree with them, right? But I do need to get a sense that this is the kind of person that I want to like and be around. Some of the other things that I look for, I always evaluate for, will somebody want to work Mm -hmm. with this person, right? Will somebody want to, will this person be able to teach somebody something, right, in the organization? Will they be able to learn together? And I think that's really critical, that there is sort of a, a trilogy of things that need to happen simultaneously between an executive. I think that's really important. And I think one of the things, sort of back to this EQ piece, is on this inspirational leadership I think that a lot of times we can evaluate for, did they demonstrate that they could raise this money? Did they demonstrate that they could build a budget? Did they demonstrate that they could do all of those senior executive things? But then somebody has sort of that special sauce when they walk in the room, and the committee says, ah, this is our person, right? Because they just are overwhelmed by their inspirational leadership. They feel like they want to take them on a journey, and they can do that. And it's then also, by the way, our job to say, Don't fall in love so quickly. Let's make sure that they can actually do what you need them to do. And then if you have both of those things together, sort of the executive leadership and the inspirational leadership together, and I would add for schools, independent schools in particular, the the instructional leadership piece is sort of a third rail for that, um, which is really about the content. Um, If they can do that, then you have a unicorn, right, which is very, very complex to find. But when you can, and it all sort of synergizes and comes together, it's really quite fun and astounding and exciting to see. I I totally agree with that. Um, Are there a couple of questions that you either you ask or you encourage search committees to ask that feel like they're kind of not, some of your favorite questions to ask that feel like, please, please, please ask these questions? 
search committees usually run out of time. <laughs> and I always remind them at the end, don't forget to ask a question that is going to give you a window into who they are. Right. And legally, it's complex because you can't ask, tell me about your family. You know, where are you from? You can't. There are lots of things that you can't. So I actually really like the question, what do you dream about? And and or tell us where you'd like to go. Right. Or places that you've been. I, I like this notion of putting people sort of in a more existential moment in an interview and just seeing how they dream and how they think with no boundaries or borders or, by the way, do they dream? Can they dream? Have they dreamed? Is that important to them? Because I think dreaming and leadership is so critically important back to that what's over the horizon. If you can't dream and you're only stuck in the tactical and you don't spend your your private time dreaming, you know, I'm always curious about people who don't spend time doing that. Well, I love that question. And it also, uh, how someone answers that tells you a lot about both public speaking a little bit, right? Uh, can I be eloquent about my dreams? Mm -hmm. um, and does that person articulate a dream that that you share or that you want a piece of? Because that's right. what that's part of what comes with leadership is, can I bring you on this journey with 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 me? Join me. Because I'm going here and isn't here the most remarkable place, a world without right. AIDS, a world without discrimination. Um, yes. And nonprofit leadership is personal, right? These people, you know, a good nonprofit executive is able to dream as it relates to their personal story. How relational are they to whatever issue it is that they're trying to resolve or repeal or or build or develop what what are those issues and so I want to hear in a perfect world for you what what is that dream and by the way what's the fight or the path or the exciting route or whatever it is to be able to get there so I, I and it, and it elicits I think some very interesting um, conversations with candidates that I think takes them also off book a little bit, which I also think is helpful. Uh, and I totally agree with you about search committees. They, they generally just talk too much. Um, <laughs> and from someone who talks too much, I, I know what that looks like. Um, so um, I want to turn, I, now I want you to speak to a person who wants to be an executive director. Okay. What's the best advice you can give a candidate? I maybe they've they've never let's let's play this out. They've never been an executive director. It's something that they have aspired to. They have some of they've developed some of the skills. Maybe they came from the program side. Um, what advice do you give to candidates about how to approach their interview process and maybe conversely mistakes you've seen people make? So for people who want to move into the ED world, I think that the as a step-up candidate, I think the single biggest problem is that they go in trying to feel like the burden is on them to prove that they can definitely do this without having the experience to back it up. Nobody can call a reference and say, how were they in this ED Correct. role before? They can only demonstrate how they were in their one particular function or some cross functions, but not the whole ED picture. And so they're so interested in helping to build their profile to the satisfaction of the committee that they forget to ask the committee to take a reality check and say, these are the skills that I come with. Here are the things that I'm going to need to learn. 
how are you going to help me to be successful? Right? They forget to do that because they want the job so badly and they want the step up. And by the way, the burden also needs to be on the committee to say, how are we going to support these candidates in the areas in which they don't have experience or they have deficiencies because there are no unicorns, right? And, and therefore, there's sort of this shared responsibility between the board and the candidates, even from the beginning, to level the playing field and say, we recognize where you are, we want to help to build you and to sort of move forward from there. I think that's the best advice is don't be afraid to say, guys, this is who I am, right? And I'm willing to learn. I've got a lot of skills that are applicable here and I can grow and develop, but I'm not doing it by myself and you're going to need support. Before I sign on the dotted line, I'm going to need a, an agreement for scaffolding and help, coaching, um, consultancy, anything, a team member, something like I, that. It's hard to imagine. I bet there are listeners here that are just thinking, I'm supposed to ask the search committee is about how you're going to help me be successful. That is a that's a real. I bet I bet there's some heads just turned. So the smart search committees who are running the smart organizations and the organizations who are really thoughtful and the ones who can sustain their their professional leadership are the ones who would not be frightened by these questions, but they would actually feel empowered and emboldened and think, hmm, this is a candidate who knows to ask for what they want, who can speak their mind, who can advocate for themselves. And all of a sudden, those are some of the most important makings of an executive sitting in front of us. So I would very interesting. I remember uh, in my own interview at GLAAD with zero fundraising experience, I essentially said, well, first of all, I had no ED experience. I had no nonprofit experience, no fundraising <laughs> experience. Um, but I said, if you are looking for someone with fundraising experience, I'm not your person. Okay. I'm just not. If that is, if that's a deal breaker for you, then we should just like have a cup of coffee and go on with our day. It's a much more powerful statement than trying to cobble together, well, I may have raised this money. I went, I went a humor route. And I said, here's the yep. best I got for you. Is <laughs> that every quarter at Showtime, I had to extract money that Don King owed Showtime from <laughs> Don King. And I built really good relationships with Don King and his people. And people were very impressed at how much money I was able to extract from Don King. So I figure <laughs> if you put me in front of someone who was predisposed towards the idea of being giving, I'd probably do pretty well. Right. The best right. I had. And that's what I said. That's the best I've got. <laughs> that's probably one of the reasons they gave it, you the it, job. It could, it could very well be. It's a very compelling it's, argument. It's, to me, it's you know one of the things that I talk about a lot because a lot of times people who are go, the step-up job to an ED doesn't include fundraising experience. Right. And um, right. when we would interview uh, fund development staff – I did what I called the lunchtime sniff test. And I would I would sit with a major gifts officer candidate or something, and I would sit and I, I would just spend 15 minutes with them and imagined it was lunch. And I imagined it was 10 minutes of two. And I imagined that I had a two o'clock meeting. And I imagined <laughs> whether or not I would text somebody to say I was going to be late because I was enjoying the conversation, that I was enriched by it that I found the whole thing really fascinating even and was being asked for money or whether I would be kind of looking at my watch saying I got to go. 
right? So mm-hmm. the, the, that uh, that's my my lunchtime sift yep. test is all about you know is can this person establish a relationship with me over lunch? And it goes to your question Absolutely. is like do you do you have a warm feeling about spending time with this person? Absolutely, and and recruiting there is a science to it, but it really is an art. The um the last question I have is um. Uh, is of the 1.5 million nonprofits in America, two-thirds of them have budgets under about a half million dollars. So the, the, the wonder, the glory, and the luxury of working with DRG is not something that is available unto them. <laughs> so um, quick snapshot of how you would structure a search if you were not lucky enough uh, to have uh, Dara Klarfeld on your team. I think um, I think you have to really think very carefully about the leadership side on on the volunteer leadership side about who is running the search, and to make the objective of the search very clear. Right. So if you can't afford to hire a retained search firm like DRG, is it possible that in those preliminary conversations, right, about organizing ourselves, that you can hire somebody to help you organize, right? Is it possible that you can put a staff member on helping you to publicize or advertise, right? So, you know, I I think one of the biggest misnomers is that if you just put, you know, a job posting up on Indeed or Monster or any of those places, that the resumes are just gonna come flowing, right? So it, it might be beneficial Um, to talk to one of your staff members about spending some time and allocating some time to them to doing a little bit of recruitment work and outreach as opposed to just waiting for the resumes to kind of come in because that's really about luck in many ways, no matter how flashy or exciting your job description or how amazing your organization is. Um, So if you can get the leadership together and maybe get some consulting services, or if you have a community leader um, or a volunteer who has those skills, I think that is critical to figure out where do you want the organization to go, what are the skills that you need for somebody to get there, and then work with the staff member to identify and spend a little bit of time about who might we target, and by the way, just pick up the phone and call them, right? In my business, everybody's always available. (laughs) So, and people like to listen to other people who are calling to say, hey, would you think about doing this? People are flattered and very accepting. Most people will take our calls um, to talk to us about what could be next. And so I think it would be also a lesson in be not The other thing, too, I'm thinking about your team sitting around doing that fun sleuthing part. I I would think that 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 might be an interesting thing that the search committee could do with sort of the senior leadership of an organization. Put a group of people in and say, where might we we go looking? Help us think outside the box. Who would be a good compliment to us? Because we're looking to round out our table, right? What what skill are we missing here? Do we need somebody who's more aggressive, less aggressive? Are we a fun bunch? Are we a strategic bunch? Are we missing that strategic piece? Yep. Absolutely. We did, we, I did a board retreat when uh, uh, ED was leaving the organization. And I, wanted, I think it can be very helpful for there to be a voice from the staff at the very beginning. As opposed yeah. to at the very end, here are our two final candidates. You have a voice. You don't have a vote. And we kind of know what that means. We kind of don't know what that means. But if you say up front, bring, we brought the whole staff together and I facilitated a discussion about what are the attribute skills and competencies you all think should be in this next leader because I am going to be the conduit to the search committee as they go looking for their next person. They felt really good about being engaged at the very beginning. So that's another interesting yeah, option. Yeah, and 
that's a core part of our process. We always do that. We always want to meet with team members, constituents, funders, people who are dissatisfied with the organization. We really want to get a full sense from everybody. But the staff members are the most important to meet with. They're the most anxious. They're the most um, concerned about who's my next boss going to be. They're, they have, In some ways, they have the most skin in the game um, in many ways. So we pay very careful attention to them and pay really close attention also so that their language about the organization, what they're looking for, is represented in the job uh, description. Last thing is, is I think that communication with the staff through the process is something that organizations fall down on a lot. And I am telling you, staff members, they fill those gaps in in the, all the wrong ways. If I don't know what's going on, either they're making going to make a bad choice without me or they can't find the right, right? Do, do yeah. not leave gaps in communication. So I didn't say at the beginning when you asked me what the most important thing for a search is, but confidentiality is supreme in every sense of the word. And you're absolutely right. The less information people have, the more they assume um, and just sort of run with. So I would also advise smaller organizations as they make a search timeline to make a communication schedule, right? With this milestone, we'll send out an email to our community. With this milestone, we'll send an email to the board, to the staff, et cetera. That's key as yeah, a reminder. Everybody has to remember that transitions are hard on everybody. And the more you Absolutely. feel like you know, the less anxious you are. Absolutely. We are done here. Um, thank you so much both for your time and for everything that you're that you do every day to build leadership in the sector that means so much to our listeners and definitely to me as well. So thank you so much. Thanks for so, having me. So uh, that's it for today. Um, just a couple of quick things. If you um, would like to uh, uh, be a part of the folks who receive my weekly emails with advice, suggestions, often some downloadable templates, join us at joangarywith2rs.com. And um, until next time, thanks again for everything that you do to repair the world in ways large and small. Thanks so much. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at joangary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.